help us this morning. Uh, I could feel uh, somewhat of the gravity uh, as we read Deuteronomy 8 and how how direct and honest you were through Moses to, to warn the people and to tell them how important it was that they listened to you. So bring us, Lord, to a place of deep desire, of deep longing, of hunger for you. Um, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, okay, so the, the key verse, uh, you can kind of get a feel like, all right, uh, if you heard verse 3, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Probably one of the top 20 Bible verses uh, out there. And so when you think about hungering, um, uh, it, I try to not use too many food illustrations as I go through my, my sermons week to week. But food, really, I do gravitate towards food uh, illustrations. Uh, and I have one, but this one's about hunger in my life. And um, since our text is about the wilderness uh, Israelites and and their hunger and how God fed them with manna, I don't know, do you remember your college years? Some of you uh, are just really, that was not a long time ago, but for the others of us, college was a while back. Um, I I, uh, did some foolish things in college, we won't go into many of those, Uh, but uh, I did come up with an idea to go camping in the Sierra Nevadas uh, in California there. So um, a friend of mine, John Lucas, uh, he's still a friend of mine, by the way, and uh, he he and I went, and I had all the details down. We drive up uh, 395 on the kind of Nevada side of California, and you head up to a town called Lone Pine. And from Lone Pine, you climb, climb uh, the trail up to Mount Whitney there, 14,000-some odd feet, and at about 10,000 feet, you drop into this beautiful, in the summertime, beautiful lake country, grassy area and stuff, and there are some freak snowstorms and that kind of thing, but it's uh, beautiful in the summertime. So John and I went up there, and of course, um, we just just relied upon my really silly idea, and here was my idea. Um, I had a telescopic fishing pole. And uh, I said, John, we'll just bring some rice, some beans, some, some cans of beans. Richard, you're enjoying this too much. Uh, John, don't worry, I'll take care of the fish. Don't, care, don't worry, we'll just eat fish and eat rice and we'll be fine. So um, we're up there and uh, we started off with our cans of beans and that type of thing. And I, I was a little nervous because this required really fly fishing. Now, I did grow up in a family where we were fishing a lot, but I'd never fly fished before. So uh, not only is John relying on me to bring in fish, um, and I'm relying on myself to bring in fish, I have no skills in this department. And it's amazing when you're hungry how quickly, how attentive you are with, with uh, how to learn new skills. So, uh, and fortunately, it was crazy. Uh, first of all, the trout are hungry. They are. And in these little tiny creeks, uh, there are trout. If you can, ma- you know, get your line uh, t- untangled from all the, uh, you know, the twigs and branches, uh, and you know, we were barely able to sustain enough uh, protein uh, for two college-age guys. And um, I uh, cut the cut the trip short um, 
because I didn't like the pressure that was on me to uh, daily come in with, uh, with enough fish for us to cook. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where uh, you are, maybe you're short on some cash or they don't, they don't take your credit card or you're just in this situation where you're hungry and you really don't, you're away from home, you're traveling and you're just for some reason away from your wallet. Uh, you know, it's kind of odd. We don't really experience it that much, do we? But it's kind of this really uh, awakening experience, you know, um, uh, to be hungry, to be hungry in the wilderness. Um, I remember distinctly how, uh, how happy I was that we could eat. I remember how feeling how helpless I was because I couldn't make those fish uh, believe that this was a, uh, well, they thought, uh, if they did think, uh, a fly, right? It's an imitation little object that looks like a fly. I couldn't make them do couldn't make their hunger, so I was dependent on something way outside of myself. Man shall not live, verse 3 says, man shall not live by bread alone. I would summarize this verse as saying this, true living is a living hunger. True living is a living hunger for God's words. True living was certainly characteristic of man in the garden. Would you think about the first couple of chapters of the book of Genesis with the descriptions of Adam and Eve's life? They are genius-level people, yet God needs to speak to them and explain to them God, God's speech is necessary for them to understand their purpose in life. They need to receive revelation even though they are at a remarkably high level of intellect and understanding just by being made in the image of God, yet they must, to interact with their world, they must understand the purpose that God has made them for and he, God's, God has messages for Adam and Eve. So even before the rebellion in the garden, man was to live and to live hungry for God's word. God must explain life and the point of living. God must speak in order for us to understand what true living is. And we can easily neglect the soul. Our soul has been made to live on God's word. We can easily neglect true living. Israel was redeemed by powerful miracles on their behalf that worked to release them from enslavement in Egypt. God married them, in a sense, brought them into a relationship with himself, and he travels with them, and he is now meeting with his people on the edge of the Jordan River through the leader Moses. This is the second generation of Israelites, the first generation in Numbers 13, when they had sent spies into the land, 12 spies, two came back, Caleb and Joshua, and they said, let's do it. It's just like God promised. Yes, there's giants. God will be with us. Let's go. And 10 said, we will be slaughtered. 
And that bad report of those ten spies moved among all these children of Israel, these, these redeemed people brought out by God's power of Egypt, and they rebelled against Moses and God's promise. And they cried out, Oh, that God would have killed us in Egypt or in this wilderness. But now we see that he intends to have us slaughtered at the hands of these giants. They're greatly suspicious of Moses, greatly suspicious of God. And they cried out, oh, that we would die in the wilderness or die in Egypt. And by the way, you've got to be careful when you, when you express your wants. <laughs> you might just get them. And, and God has a, a way of justice. It's called just desserts. You can get what you want. And God said, okay, we'll take the wilderness. And for 40 years, that generation marched rather aimlessly until they died. And the next generation would wait until they were gone, and then they would be entrusted with the entrance into the land of Canaan. And Moses is here preaching to them. The book of Deuteronomy is actually a couple of rather long sermons. Uh, you'll be very happy we've adopted a little bit better model for preaching than, than Moses' preaching model. And Moses is instructing and reestablishing the law, the covenant at Mount Sinai that was with the previous generation, and now he is calling these to renew their covenant. The previous covenant had been broken by the people, and now they are to listen to the law, the commands of the law, and devote themselves to this covenant and all of its promises, all of its prohibitions, all of its rules. And so Moses is repeating the Ten Commandments, and here he is on what they call the plains of Moab, this area where Moses will eventually die there. But it's from here that they will hear these sermons. It's here that they would most likely have heard the stories from the, the book of Genesis and, and the whole uh, story of, of God's work with creating Israel. Notice verse 1, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God says that the 40 years was a humbling process, a testing process. When you are desperate, where do you go? When you feel the heat of the wilderness, will you turn to some foreign God, where will your heart bow down? They cannot make life work in the wilderness, and they need to be weaned completely away from stubborn independence. Central to all this is that God is leading them. God is with them, and his leading is underway. Do some of you look back on those lean times, perhaps, you were a new young couple in those early days of marriage, uh, the, uh, the boxed macaroni days. Do you remember those days? 
Do you look back on those lean times, the difficult times? And now, with the advantage of hindsight, do you look back and go, God was faithful, God was good. Do you see his kindness sustaining you? I hope you do. Moses is a good teacher here because he is explaining a a review as a a good teacher would. You review the lesson, right? Well, uh, class, uh, uh, what was the lesson for the last 40 years? (laughs) Uh, You've had plenty of time to think about it. (laughs) You've been in God's classroom, the wilderness. By the way, you who love camping... Uh, I'm not in that category, by the way. Uh, my idea of roughing it is waiting two rings for room service. That's roughing it for me. Uh, that was just a little tempted humor there. Um, wilderness camping. You spend how many hours just cooking? Six, seven hours. In the evening, what's the entertainment? Watching water boil for your pasta, Right? And it takes about three hours. Who needs cable TV when you have a fire and a a pot of hot water to watch? Camping is a is a testing experience, and of course we have far more uh, far more equipment and stuff available for us. In in the wilderness, food doesn't show up. There's uh, delivery doesn't go that far. In the wilderness, and the wilderness doesn't care that you were there. Is not a place of compassion. And you are somewhat, I would think, almost always preparing for food, wood. You are preoccupied with the general subject of staying alive. In harsh and difficult circumstances, and this tells us something right away, what do you think might be going on in the plan of God as you have no resources around you to live by? What do you think might be going on in the plan of God as you encounter difficulties and you cannot sustain your own life? Israel had this unique bread-like substance that would appear in the in the mist in the morning, and it would arrive daily. Couldn't, couldn't last very long, and it had somehow enough protein in it, somehow enough nutrients in it to sustain them for all those years. But typically what we should say in the wilderness is there's not enough around here to sustain me. That would be the, uh, the wise thing to say. There's not enough in this place to sustain me. Life here is a miracle. Life is a miracle. Not many people walk around who can afford a fancy restaurant in the big city. They're not saying life's a miracle. They just go here. You pay and it all makes sense because you can control, as it were. You don't have to worry about where lettuce comes from or where, where your meat comes from. Of course, then God is training his people to depend upon him fully, fully. Uh, And that's underway with you. The training is underway with you. 
and myself to depend upon him fully, to embrace everything that he has said. Deuteronomy 4.34 says this, that God out of heaven let you hear his voice. Listen to that. He let you hear his voice. That he might discipline you. He might correct you. Someone once said that truth by its very nature is offensive. Think about that. When someone tells you the truth, and I hope they say it in a nice way, with a nice vibe to it, right? But truth, think about it. Truth is a, is a, a confrontation with your presuppositions, the things you believe are true about life, and, and someone comes along with another angle on it, another way of looking at it, perhaps a complete correction of your viewpoint. How does that go over with you? Truth. And God is now discipling or training or mentoring or shaping and influencing the way his people are to think. And central to this is every word that I have spoken and speak to you is to be life to you, life to you. And, of course, the wilderness was a testing place. And then the the land itself would be a a remarkable testing place. But this would be a test not of of a lack of something, but this would be a test of affluence. Did you hear that description of pomegranates and honey and of the wealth and the beautiful produce of of Canaan and the homes and the, and the, 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 the... acquisition of things that they had and then they would reflect on this and then they would be try, kind of turned philosophers or theologians and they would they would turn and they would begin to say oh, you know where was the source of all this where, where did all this come from oh it, 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 that's right it's it's my effort that that made all this and, and the heart becomes proud heart becomes proud and forgetful so the very one who sustained you in the wilderness that you were dependent upon, the one that you cried out to, the one that gave you manna, now is the one you don't need at all because everything's going fine in the land of Canaan. And now they would be tempted to sort of manipulate their life. Hey, we need a little more rain for the crops. Someone, someone build an altar to Baal, the rain god, the god of fertility. Oh, and someone built a, a, an altar to this God, and they began to sort of manipulate their life to make their life work for them. Yeah, there's always Yahweh, the one who delivered us from Egypt. We'll call upon him when we need him. But we have other, other options here. And if we get all of these other things going on, we might even, we might even be able to control all of, of life. And God is testing them in the wilderness, and he's testing them with affluence to see what is in uh, their hearts. And now this most famous verse, verse 3. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. This means it came in a miraculous way. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man, and this is the lesson of the manna, that man does not live by bread alone. Uh, the message is, it just barely sustained you. <laughs> it wasn't remarkably fancy stuff. And it was, train, it was seeking to train you through your taste buds. 
it's okay, but not that great. I guess I have to eat it. Oh, well. Some of you in the military, you know what this is like, right? Well, what would really work for my life? Oh, boy, I, what, what should I dwell upon? What will really make my life work? And then God adds, you don't live by bread alone, but you live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God is this resource for living that cannot be explained. Let me just ask you directly, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that we cannot live unless we live based on God's words? I mean, this is not just sort of a poetic, oh, it's such a beautiful little way that Moses put it. Isn't it nice? This is a real statement about human beings. You will not be experiencing, I will not be experiencing true life without an utter dependence upon God speaking through his word. Think about that. This is a profound statement about humanity. God sustains us with bread, right? That's a picture of food. He knows we need nutrition, but that's not anywhere close to what real life is. In fact, we learn that Jesus is the word of God, the expression of God. God spoke into existence the world, and God said, let there be light. And now, not only in creation, but in redemption, God is speaking. And Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that he made us alive. And it's through speech that he brings life to dead hearts. So it is through speech, it is through his proclamation, the proclamation of this gospel that we are brought to life. Man shall not live by bread alone. One of the key effects of the fall is, oh no, we can figure this out. We can live apart from God's word. That's an effect of the fall. Modern man, modern philosophies. We live in a closed system. There's no divine intervention. There is no speech uh, coming from heaven to earth. It's just a closed system that has Horrific effect. Uh, 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 those who took that take that idea seriously, who brought it to its, uh, I guess, logical end. Uh, be careful if they have weapons. Be careful if they have a political philosophy that is not anchored to transcendent values. Or, as Orwell put it. You know, some animals are more equal than others. Be careful. The last 120 years or so, this modern era has seen some of the most wicked evil unleashed upon populations of people from Russia to Cambodia, this Central America, South America, United States. Wickedness. One of the most profound things is the disconnect of morality or ethics 
to a transcendent value. And this was most impressed upon the early Christians in Rome. And the first report of the Christians in Rome to the Caesar at the time, I forget which Caesar it was, the Caesar was informed that in the city of Rome, and by the way, what would happen is that people would die on a particular night, and sometimes those bodies would be just in the, in the streets. And they, they, if they're not wealthy people, uh, they wouldn't have a, a decent burial. And a burial costs some money. And so the Christians, believing the scriptures that teach man is made in the image of God, that, that even that dead body has dignity, the early Christians would, of their own financial sacrifice, make sure the dead bodies in Rome were taken care of, buried outside the city. That's where the catacombs are. And that report of the good deed of the Christians, the service, in a sense, the service to Rome that the Christians were offering, was not based upon what Caesar said to those Christians. It was based upon what God said about human beings. They responded to a higher law than Caesar's law. The moral dignity that is to be afforded all human beings. And that report was first given to one of the Caesars. Take Caesar, don't judge these people too harshly. This is what they're doing. And so when, we, when God says to us in Deuteronomy 8.3 that man does not live by bread alone, remember that the effect of the fall is that we've entered into a closed system. God is no longer speaking. Now you might throw this in as you have a conversation with a non-Christian. If you're not a Christian here today, I'd love to talk with you about this. It's a, it's a unique starting point, and you might as well go ahead and start with it and just ask this question. Well, do you believe God has spoken to us? Has God spoken? That's what you believe as a Christian, right? I mean, this is, I have a Bible here. Has God... Let's start the conversation. Has God spoken? And then that's what... And who knows what direction the conversation will go, but you know that if they would begin to open up to the idea that God has spoken. Oh my, they are close to the kingdom of God. You know that if a person begins to read the gospel of John, perhaps the first place they read in their Bible, you know that if they begin to read the gospel of John with some level of sincerity, oh my goodness, send them my way, by the way. I'll help them find Christ. God's word is remarkably powerful and it breaks through this closed system. And Augustine, of course, reminds us that the human experience is that we're turned inward on ourselves. Turn inward. And so God has this remarkable truth for his people that he was training them to live by every word that proceeds from the word of God, from God's lips. Now, in the Old Testament, let me wrap this up. In the Old Testament, 
we are told that they are to solemnly listen to Moses, and if they don't, they shall perish. Right? End of Deuteronomy 8. Uh, God warns them and God exhorts them, obey. Listen, obey, remember. Well, just so we can get to know our Bibles, here's how it works. No one does. No one does. If you'd like to know how your Bible unfolds, there's nobody there. Abraham doesn't. Uh, Moses doesn't. No one obeys. No one listens. No one ever thinks of God, God's word as so vital that you have to live from it. No one. Now, there are moments and shining examples at times. Read the book of Hebrews, some phenomenal uh, exceptions to what I'm saying, but even they do not fully live by God's word. They turn to, uh, they turn away from that. So the whole, in the whole, in the Old Testament, we're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting for someone who will do it. No one hungers as they should, nor do you, Christian, hunger for God's word as you should. Nor do you, preacher, hunger for God's word as you should. No one lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We've got plenty going on in our lives. Plenty of things that seem to satisfy us, and we're not all that desperate. But God has a unique way of getting our attention. Finally, one comes. And he listens attentively all the time to his heavenly father. He lives under the law, Galatians 4.4 tells us. And he lives under that law perfectly. He loves the father perfectly. Adores the Father, never questions the Father, never reluctant to obey. Always living by the Father's will. And then one day, he essentially his public time has arrived and he becomes the public servant. He, he becomes, in a sense, uh, set apart for a ministry. And this includes associating himself with sinners at a baptism that John the final prophet of the Old Testament, John, we call him John the Baptist. And Jesus shows up and he is, and he is baptized and then the heavens open up. Uh, the Father speaks, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And they see the spirit fall in the motion of a dove and landing on this servant. And when the father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, the father is pleased because he is becoming Isaiah's suffering servant. The father is pleased because the one who has been called to suffer is now being declared to his people. The father is with him and the spirit is with him. So he goes out to the wilderness to be tempted. And after 40 days, uh, 40 years for Israel, 40 days for Jesus in the, in, the, in the wilderness, somewhere there in Judea, he'd been fasting, fasting to prepare himself for this ministry. And lo and behold, who shows up 
but the devil. And Matthew 4 tells us that uh, Jesus had been driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit and that after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, and he quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Essentially, Satan was looking at the diminished body of Jesus, not having eaten in 40 days. Imagine what he looked like. And Satan's message to him is, Look, you keep trusting your heavenly Father. He's going to kill you. You better get a grip on yourself, and you better get a hold of your life. And if you've got magical powers, you better make some bread and do it quickly. For there is nothing but a tragic wilderness here, and no one is looking out for you. But Jesus responds and says, Now, that's not how we're sustained. That we human beings, as it were, man is not sustained by that viewpoint, by that world view. It's not a closed system. It's an open system where the Father is speaking constantly. The Father is feeding me, and he can sustain me for as long as he wants. Forty days is nothing. If he wants me to live He's the source of my life. I live by his will and his words. Not so fast, tempter. Now, how do you care about God's word? How do you care about God's word? Now, as a preacher, I have the availability of many, many techniques and methods right now. I could shame you and tell you you should read your Bible more. I could dump some guilt on you and... uh, I don't know, talk about how much I know the Bible or something like that and how much the Bible works for me or something like that. Or, Brothers and sisters, you just need to dwell upon the one who loved God's word far more than you ever will. And he said, I want you. I want you in your sluggish heart. I want you in your stubborn heart. I want you in your bread alone heart. I want you, I want you, I want you. And I know all about your lack of hunger for God's word. I know all about it, and I still want you. Heaven is not waiting around for you to finally get it together and love your Bible. That should be a relief for all of us. There's no more, next to someone asking, how's your prayer life? Uh, how are you with the scriptures these days? And everybody drops their head, right? None of it, right? Brothers and sisters, we have someone upon whom to rest our sluggish hearts and say, oh, Lord, revive my heart that I might live according to this way of living. I by my nature, could care less. And I would live for bread alone. There's lots of things to fill me. There's lots of things to entertain me, to distract me. I, in my own heart, would not want to yield to your will. It's not in me. And, oh, Father, you want me, and you've sent your Son to do it all for me. 
teach me. My life is, perhaps I'm being tempted by affluence. Perhaps I'm being tempted by wilderness. Who knows what I'm being tempted with? But Father, in the middle of all this, I need you. I need you and your presence and your faithfulness in me. I need you to move me, to warm my heart, to, to make me hungry for you. And you know what? He wants us. He is working to this end. He is, he is working to this end. And so if you are feeling afflicted, you're feeling uh, at the end of your reserves, you're feeling, I don't have the strength anymore. I am frustrated. I don't have the reserves anymore. I don't have the cleverness anymore. I don't have the wisdom anymore. Oh, come home. Come home to the Father who is now going to teach you and train you about what it means to be living from his word and not your own wisdom. This is great. What a father we have. Let's pray. What a father we have, Lord, that you would send your son who in the wilderness that day turned away from all foolishness and represented man on the earth staking this royal claim that man can be restored in dignity and live by, by something greater than bread. Father, restore our dignity, Lord. Restore us, feed us, revive us, Lord. Impress upon us your grace that transforms us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.